Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. And that's our prayer that you would speak, O Lord. Speak through your word. Speak to our hearts. Speak in this place. I thank you, God, for all that we have learned and are learning through the book of Exodus. Coming now to the end of it. God, may we know what it means to, to know you, to hear from you, to be loved by you and to love you back with faith and, and obedience, sacrifice. God, move in our hearts, convict us of our sins, but build us up with forgiveness and love and strength for your glory. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. If you would, please turn in the Bible to Exodus chapter 40, Exodus 40. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, <clears throat> you can grab one of those black pew Bibles there in front of you and turn to page 87, page 87 on the pew Bible there uh, right in front of you. Before we get going, I want to say uh, thank you to you all for letting my family and I, Val and I, have a, have a vacation this past week. Uh, if you didn't know, my home church had asked me to come preach at their homecoming, which was very special and meaningful. The church that I was at during high school, there really was so huge in which God used it to, uh, to teach me and to grow me and to hold me accountable and those sort of things to help me grow up as I before I went off to college. So that's that's where we were. And uh, and we had a good time, but we uh, we, we missed Fairdale a lot and we are glad to be back. I also want to say thank you to. To Troy and everybody else that led, uh, it's an awesome uh, situation for our church to be in when I'm gone to have people feeling and preach like that. I've heard nothing but great things. Troy, I listened to your sermon from last week, uh, so I would know where we're going. Uh, but thank you all for letting us go. We love that you all love us and support us and allow us to do things like that. Uh, but we're glad to be back. Exodus chapter 40, the end of Exodus. The glory of the Lord is what it says. I want to ask a question today that's a little bit of a, of, of a child, childish trivia question. Uh, where does God live? Have you ever been asked that question? Do you know how to answer that question? Where does God live? Well, I don't, don't answer, please, because then I've got to start telling you all why you're wrong. Just let me ask it. Let me talk for the next 30 minutes or so, and then, and then we'll have an answer. Where does he live? You know, where does he live? Um, I was walking through Fairdale back during the summer and I was walking back this way and two young boys kind of hit me on the sidewalk right out here in front of the funeral home and they said, hey, do you have a dollar or do you have two dollars? I said, I, I don't know why. They said, well, we're trying to go swimming up here at the pool and it costs two dollars to get in and we don't have any money, so we can't get in. They had on their bathing suits and no shirt, and it was 100 degrees. And So I pulled out my wallet, and, and sadly enough, all I had was $2. Um, so I gave them $2, and, and they said, well, that only going to get one of us in. I said, yes, yeah, right. And then they said, well, what are we going to do? And these are little boys. Like, one was in middle school, one was in elementary school. And I said, um, I don't know. And so they started walking that way. And I said, hold on a second. I thought y'all were going to the pool. And they said, yeah, but we only got $2. We need to find two more. So we're going to go find some more people, give us $2. And then we'll walk that way. Kind of smart for little boys. And uh, so I said, well, hold on a second. Come with me. And so I walked them over here and we came in the church. He said, what are we doing? I said, well, this, this is a church right here. And, and I'm the pastor of the church. And I'm sure I could find you $2 in here somewhere. And, 
uh, and I'll, I'll get you taken care of. And they're like, is this your church? Do you live here? So I'm saying, uh, no. And I said, do you own it? And I said, we all like something to drink. And they're like, yeah. So I take them down in the kitchen. I get them each a Coke. And they're like, well, do you have something to eat too? And I said, well, we don't have food here, but I've got some crackers or something. So they got some crackers. And they're like, is this yours? Is this your refrigerator? Is this your food? And I said, no, it's not. I'm just the pastor here. And they said, well, whose is it? Good questions, right? I, that's hard to answer. I said, well, this is God's church. And I said, then they asked, does God live here? It's a good question. How do you answer that? You know, does God live here? I do want you all to know that we were able to give them a Coke and crackers and found two more dollars and they were able to go swimming. And, and so we we were able to help those young guys out. But that is a good question, isn't it? Where does God live? Does he live here last night at midnight when nobody was here and it was dark as can be? Was God here in this place now at your house since you're not there and you're here? Is he there? Where is he? And if your answer, as many of y'all tried to yell out heaven, is if he's only in heaven, then how in the world is he going to impact us here if he's only there? So where is he? See, we don't want to answer real quickly. We want to go to the word and we want to find the answers. Where does he live? Where is he dwelling at? And that's what we're getting at in the book of Exodus, where the book of Exodus ends. Read with me, if you will. The cloud, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The book of Exodus ends right here. If you turn the page, you are at Leviticus and the third book of the Bible begins. Exodus is a good one. Over the last several months, we've enjoyed it. We have learned a lot. We have seen a lot. And a lot of what we have kind of known from a distance, we have come to see up front and close because we have have walked through much of the book of Exodus. And it ends like this. The tabernacle is there. And God is dwelling in the tabernacle with his people. Before now, there was not a tabernacle. Before now, there was not a place that God came to and stayed. Now, God has come right here and met with them. And the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Right there where the people are. God is living there. He is dwelling there with his people. I hope over the next few minutes to unpack that even more. I want to give you three points today before we take the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. Number one, God dwells with his people despite their past. God dwells with his people despite their past. Number two, God dwells with his people based off 
His promises. God dwells with His people based off of His promises. And then number three, God dwells with His people throughout all their journeys. God dwells with His people throughout all their journeys. Number one, let's get going. God dwells with His people despite their past. I want you to think about us being here at the book of Exodus, here at the end, and the glory of God comes to them. It's interesting that this is what's happening. It's interesting that this is the way it ends because over the course of the book of Exodus, as we've been reading in and out, we have seen highs and lows. We have seen them sinning against God. We have seen them worshiping God. We have seen God providing for them. We have seen them saying, God, why aren't you providing for us? We have seen them in a struggle. We have seen them being attacked. We have seen them being preserved. We have seen the people saying, God, what's going on? We have seen them saying, thank you, God. There has been a lot over the book of Exodus. We have seen the people of Israel live lives often how we live lives or how the world lives lives uh, up and down with some inconsistencies, with some frustrations, with some coming and going with some. I believe in you, God, and I love you, God, with some uh, God, you seem far from me. God, where are you? God, what's happening? God, what is my life? We've seen all of that in the book of Exodus. And yet. At the end of it, what do we have? We have God coming and filling up the tabernacle with his glory. God has come And so I'm raising the point that God is dwelling with his people despite their past. Look at verse 35 right here, where it says Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. You know why he wasn't able to go into it? Well, he's not able to go into it when God is in there. Because Moses is a sinful person. And yet Moses is the leader of all the people of Israel. He's the best one that we know of. He's the best person that we know of. And yet the best one, the leader one, is not able to enter in there. Moses is not able to enter into the tabernacle if God is in the tabernacle. God and His holiness will not allow a sinful person to come in there while God is in there. It is occupied by holiness. And so Moses is not able to. And I raise that point to just show you that Moses is not able to, nobody is able to, because we are a sinful people. And I want to show you this as we flip back a little bit. Keep your Bibles. We're going to look at four places just real quickly. Turn to chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. I'll take time for you to turn there. I want you to flip. I want you to see this. Chapter 5. Verse 23, this is way back at the beginning, you might have forgotten about this. They're slaves in Egypt and Pharaoh is making them make bricks out of straw. They are making bricks, okay? And in verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? See, they're questioning God. Verse 23, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And look at this next line, an accusation from sinful Moses representing the people to God. And you have not delivered your people at all. Man, wouldn't you hate to have a day like that in your past? Don't we hate that we have days like that in our past. Moses at the end of Exodus, y'all, has just finished building a tabernacle. And God comes in all His glory and dwells there. And just 30 chapters ago, he says, God, 
why are you doing this evil to us? You're not even helping us at all. You haven't delivered us. You know, Moses hates that. Turn with me now to chapter 14. Chapter 14. At chapter 14, it's where they've already been set free. We're past the ten plagues. Uh, God has shown his power above Pharaoh. He has set them free. They are running to try to find the, the promised land. And they get trapped around a mountain in a desert in the Red Sea. And let's look at chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. They were scared. And the people of Israel cried out to God, the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Don't you wish that we didn't have moments like that in our past? Doesn't it hurt that we do have moments like that in our past? God has just... Very intentionally, with a pinpoint accuracy, with a clear explanation, shown his power over hard-hearted Pharaoh and shown his power to the extent of uh, blood, then frogs, gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies, boils hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes. Then comes number ten, the firstborn dies. God does all of that in the ten plagues to make it absolutely clear. Nobody can mistake it. I am God, creator of heaven and earth. I do whatever I want and I will rescue you people and set you free, even to the extent of killing them, the Egyptians, if they would not obey God. And he did that and they know that. And even here at chapter 14, they say, we'd be better off back with the Egyptians. The complaint I just showed you in chapter 5 was them complaining about being in Egypt. The complaint I'm showing you here is them saying, we wish we were back in Egypt. Sounds like me sometimes. I complain that it's this way, then I get it this way, and I complain that it's that way. And then I complain that it's that way, and then I get it this way, and then I complain that it's this way. Now, can, can you see here that Moses has no idea what he really needs? Can you see here that the people of Israel have no idea what they really need? And would you, by, by the grace of God, admit here today that you really don't know what you need for tomorrow and for the rest of your life? You need God. And you need to trust that He knows. And so whatever He gives, whatever He does, wherever He takes you, however He does it, you'll know you're safe with Him. Look at chapter 16. Chapter 16, when God is providing bread from heaven, they didn't have any food. So God says, I'll do a miracle and just let bread fall each day from heaven and be on the ground for you to eat. And at chapter 16, verse 1, it says, They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Verse 2, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
Don't you hate that? Man, I wish I was back in Egypt because you just brought me out here to die of starvation. What an awful complaint. Anybody that knows God knows that God can provide food anytime he needs to. They stopped believing that. And they started complaining against it. Lastly, turn to chapter 32. Which was just a few weeks ago, so it's fresh on your mind. Chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. God has been rescuing them For 32 chapters. And he's delayed a little bit on the mountain. So they turn on him and say, don't know what he's doing. Aaron, can you make us some other gods? Aaron, can you make me something that will satisfy me? Aaron, will you make me something that I can manipulate? Will you make me something that I can worship? Because the God that I'm worshiping right now is not around. And I don't wait on him. I don't wait on anybody. What an attitude, what a haughty, arrogant, human way to be. Turn back now to chapter 40 to the end. God dwells with His people despite their past. The book of Exodus ends with God coming down out, out, of, the, out, of, out of who knows where and, and brings His glory to dwell in the tabernacle right there with them. The book ends with God taking up residence with His people there. Despite all that that we just looked at. And I want you to know that this is a truth that we find in the Scriptures from the beginning to the end. When Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, guess what it says? God came walking in the garden. See, the world tends to say that if I'm sinning, God is running. That's what the world thinks. How many times have you heard somebody say, oh, if I walked in that building, the building probably collapsed on me. How many times you heard somebody say, oh, if I do this, God's going to strike me with lightning. People think that way. But do you know that God dwells with his people despite our pasts? Do you know that God is able to see our past and know that he can do something greater in us and work in our hearts the power to turn from our past, confess our sins, identify with what we used to be, and then make us into something new? In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old things have passed away. God can come to us despite our past. That's good news for me and that's good news for you. I never forget my, after I graduated college, I was probably 22 or 23. I was back in Charlotte where I was from. I was playing basketball at this open gym and ran into a guy from high school. He said, so what are you doing now? I said, I'm, I'm in school now going into the ministry. And he opened his eyes like, you're in the ministry? Hadn't seen you since high school and you expect me to believe you're in the ministry now. And it's the times like that where you think, wow, God does work in our hearts despite our past. Johnny Hunt has made it popular that, his, that God brought him from the pool hall 
to the pulpit. And we'll often talk about how his life was characterized by all the things of a pool hall. Running, careless, partying, wild. That's what he was characterized by. That's all he knew. And yet God came to him despite that. If you're here today, listen. All of our pasts are different. Yesterday was different for all of us. A year ago was different for all of us. Five years ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago was different. Listen, and we might have been running. We may have been cursing God. We may have not even thought of God. We might not have known God. But I'm telling you, God can still come dwell with you. Your past is not what defines you if you are in Christ. One of the neatest passages in the New Testament is where the religious leaders have a woman that has disobeyed God and deserves to be punished. And so they call out Jesus and say, can we punish her? And Jesus says, yeah, whichever of you haven't sinned yourself. And the next thing you know, nobody punishes her. And when everybody else walks away one at a time, Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Jesus knows her past. He tells her to leave her past and know him. I want to ask you here today if you will admit that your past is your past. That you will admit that you are a sinful person. That you admit that in the past you've done things that you're not so proud of. But instead of hiding those or making excuses for those or trying to act like it wasn't that bad and everybody else did it too or you were just a kid, call it what it is. Let a spade be a spade and say, I didn't know God and I lived like it. But I want to know Him now. And I want you to know He'll come dwell with you. 2013 was awesome when we did the Philippians 1-6 testimony every Sunday. Some of y'all may remember that. And every Sunday we came up, a different person did, and they spoke about how I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. He started it and he will finish it. And what they would talk about in their testimony is what their life was like before Christ, how they met Christ, and what their life is like now after Christ. See, it is okay if you know God to say, I used to be that way. But praise God, I'm not anymore because he's working in me. God comes to dwell in his people despite their past. Exodus ends with God there in his glory, all consuming the tabernacle with the people. Which people? Those sinful, rebellious, stubborn, stiff-necked people. He's there. Hey, God loves people like you and me. He does. Number two, God dwells with his people based off of his promises. God dwells with his people based off of his promises. Take a step up just to verse 33. Just to verse 33. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. And look at the next sentence. So Moses finished the work. Does everybody see that? Don't miss that in your Bible. Moses finished the work. What work? Well, turn back to chapter 35. Turn back to chapter 35. Uh, Troy preached last week to end chapter 34. So let's look here at chapter 35. Starting in chapter 35, you have the contributions for the tabernacle. You know, God is, is, is asking them, telling them to build a tabernacle where he will come and live, where he will come and dwell. 
That's what's happening. He is going to come and be with His people so that they can know Him and love Him and be protected by Him and served by Him and, and they can worship Him. So the tabernacle. And so at chapter 35, there's the contributions for the tabernacle. Chapter 36, you have the beginning, the construction of the tabernacle. Chapter 37, the making of the ark that will go in the tabernacle. Uh, chapter 37, the making of the table. Chapter 37, the making of the lampstand. Chapter 38, the making of the altar of burnt offering. Uh, the bronze basin, the making of the court, the making of the materials for the tabernacle, chapter 39, the making of the priestly garments, and so forth and so forth. And in chapter 40, they erect all of that. And it is a lot of info. That's why I'm not preaching on it, because it would get pretty tedious. In my Bible, it is six full pages. And in a Bible, you have double column usually. I mean, there is a lot of instruction there. A lot of detail, a lot of talking, a lot of here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Now do this and now do this. Okay, now do this. Now take this and put that together. Now do it's that is God telling them to do that. And at the end of chapter 40, verse 33, it says Moses finished the work. And the Bible wants us to know that God was not coming to bring his glory into the tabernacle based off Moses just going, well, I'm going to skip this part and we'll just do a little bit here. And and God didn't really care if we actually have an ark or a table or whatever. We'll just do it like this and uh, he'll still show up. I mean, God's a good God. I know he's going to forgive me in the end anyway. And so, I mean, you don't reason like that with God. God comes and dwells with his people based off what he says, based off what he's like. Based off his character, based off what he said. You know what the New Testament says about that? The New Testament says that if anybody believes on Jesus and repents of their sins, they will be forgiven. And that if anybody believes on Jesus and repents of their sins, God will in no way cast them out. And the New Testament says that in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Here's what I'm getting at. We people who can admit our past in point number one, can have God dwelling with us. Not because we're okay. Not because in the end we're going to weigh out pretty good folks. But because God has promised us something that is true, that is right, that is just, and that He will live by. If you're here today and you want to know God, and you want to have God dwelling with you, living with you, take what He says, And believe it. I have been trying to teach my kids since they were born that God loves them. But you can't just tell somebody that God, that you love them or God loves them. If there's no support to it or no proof with it, then people aren't going to believe that. Every girl in the world knows that if the teenage guy is saying he loves her, he really don't love her. Just saying you love somebody doesn't solve everything. So I say, kids, how do you know God loves you? And they've learned to say this. Well, two ways. He loves me because he says that he does. But he also, and his word is true. But he also loves me because he showed me that he did when he died on the cross. And when I take somebody who doesn't lie and listen to what he says, 
And then I take the cross and see what he did. I know that he loves me. See, God dwells with his people based off his promises. You don't have to turn there, but back at chapter 25 and also back further than that, you have statements like this. And let them make me a sanctuary, God says, that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle in all of its furniture, so you shall make it. God says, you do it exactly the way I'm telling you. You build exactly what I'm telling you. You follow my instructions and I will come be there with you. And the Bible says that if anybody believes in Christ, God will become their father. And there's even a place in John chapter 8 where Jesus has to tell them, God is not your father. And they're saying, no, he is our father. Abraham is our father and Abraham is from God. And so we know that. And Jesus says, no, if God were your father or Abraham were your father, you would be acting like Abraham. And Abraham loved God, but y'all don't love God. So I know that God is not your father. And Jesus would say, To believe in Christ, then God will become your father. He will accept you as a son. He will adopt you into his family. He loves you. The dwelling of God with his people is based off of his promises. In John chapter 1 verse 14, John is writing about how Jesus is the word. And he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came, dwelled among us, based off the holiness and the plan of God to save people. I want to ask you today, that if you know God, you know where He lives, you know where He dwells, because of the truth of the Word of God, because of His promises, because of what you know is right. Thirdly, God dwells with his people throughout all of their journeys. Look back at Exodus 40. God dwells with his people throughout all of their journeys. You look at Exodus chapter 40 at verse 35. It says, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It kind of says the same thing that verse 34 says. But then look at verse 36. Throughout all their journeys. Do you see that phrase throughout all their journeys? And then the very last passage in verse 38 says, throughout all their journeys. In other words, God had come to be with them wherever they were and wherever they were going. It says that the cloud came and he would set up there in the tabernacle. And it was a cloud by day and it was fire by night. And if they saw the cloud or they saw the fire, they knew that God was there. But if they saw that the cloud or the fire was not there, then they knew that it was time for them to start traveling. But the cloud would lead them. They would keep their eyes on that and the cloud would lead them. And then when it came back and filled up the tabernacle, it means that it was time for them to stop and God was going to stay there with them. And so they would set up camp for a while. Remember, God is leading them to the promised land that he's promised them. But it says twice here, verse 36 at the beginning, verse 38 at the end, throughout all of their journeys. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter three, Hebrews chapter three, to tie this together. Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's before the book of James and the author of Hebrews is going to write about Moses in this regard.
God dwells with His people throughout all their journeys. In Hebrews chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He says, now think about Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also. He said, now he's comparing Jesus to Moses. And Moses is the subject in Exodus. Who also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. We know that. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than a house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Does everybody see that? What Moses and we have in the book of Exodus with the tabernacle was a testimony to what we were going to figure out and learn and understand later. Does everybody see that? If you've never been much of a Bible reader, then you've never heard this before. The New Testament is teaching us in Hebrews that what we're reading in Exodus was a picture, was a shadow of what was going to come in the New Testament. Jesus being the Savior, Jesus being uh, the place that uh, 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 Jesus being the one who comes to the tabernacle in us is what we get a picture of in the book of Exodus. God coming down and dwelling in their tabernacle where His people is, is a general picture of God dwelling with His people. But the full message that the New Testament is talking about here is that God comes to later live in His people. Look what it says there. Verse 6, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Look at the next sentence. And we are His house. Where does God live? He lives in His people. He doesn't live in everybody. He lives in His people. That'll change the conversation. Hey, listen. That will change every conversation. It's a lot harder to explain away our sins once you hear that Jesus is living right there. You ever heard somebody get scalded because they were talking a certain way in front of their mother? You ever heard somebody say, you talk that way to your mom? You kiss your mouth with that mother? You kiss your mother with that mouth? Sorry. You kiss your mother with that mouth? Right? How much greater is it if Jesus is there? See, we have often so wrong made people to believe that Jesus lives here in this house, that God lives here. Now, it's okay, I think, for us to call this the house of God because we, the people, worship here and he lives inside of us. That's why we would refer to this as the house of God. But God doesn't live here. God doesn't live at my house over there on Chieftain. He doesn't live in this building. He lives inside of his people. I heard a story, and I'll be careful with this, but I heard a story a while ago of a young boy that wore his hat inside the church. Not this church, but wore his hat inside the church. And some elderly person come up to him and said, boy, young boy, won't you take your hat off in the house of God? He says, excuse me, ma'am, I am the house of God. Wearing your hat in the building, y'all, is a cultural thing. I don't know if you should wear your hat in the building or not. That's up to you. If your family taught you that. If you want to wear your hat where God lives, God lives in you. God lives in you. 
if you're a child of God. Now, if you're not a child of God, then God doesn't live in you. And that hopefully is causing you to think, no wonder I sin so much. No wonder I'm so up and down. No wonder I'm so inconsistent. No wonder I find myself at times being wicked to the core. I don't really know God. He doesn't live in me. I mean, I have good days and I I honor God and I know that God's a decent guy. But I don't love him. I don't have my every thought and day formed around him and his glory. Oh, but when he comes to live inside of you, that will happen. It's called the new birth. It's called new life. It's called Christ living inside of us. Look what it says back there, verse 6 of Hebrews. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. I want to ask you today, if you are the house of God, and therefore it makes sense to you that God dwells with his people throughout all our journeys. Tomorrow, wherever I go, God will be with me because he lives inside of me because I'm holding fast to the gospel message of Jesus, the Savior of my sins. Yes, I have a past that is full of sin. Yes, I believe that the Bible has promises to save me from my sins. And yes, God is living with me every step through the future because he is with me, living inside of me throughout all of our journey. It's kind of been a wild week. We got back late Tuesday night, started working right away Wednesday, Thursday. It was also Noah's birthday this week, so that complicated things a little bit. I had a really, really neat time. I have had this week more encounters with people that I didn't know in our community that are really struggling than I've had probably in the last month. I had a, I had a man that had never been to my house before uh, who was... Very much so strung out and not in his right mind, high on some stuff at the at the door of the house. And I was in the backyard and started making comments to Val when she answered the door. Stuff like that was happening. Had a couple of those things happen a weekend, had something happen on Thursday, something happened on Friday, something happened on Saturday. Weird stuff happened that normally happen. But you know, what I kept thinking the whole time. Part of me wanted to say, why, why is this going on? Do you know what I kept thinking? I'm glad this is going on. I'm glad those people are coming to me. Because I'm going to give them Jesus. I want them to hear about Jesus. I want them to know about Jesus. I want, to get the, I want them to get the answers. I want them to get help. I want them to find the truth. Because this is where God lives in us. You know, the answer wouldn't have been, you know what, man, i got, I got some good news for you. Why don't you ride down there to uh, 413 Fairdale Road, right beside the funeral homes of church. I'm sure you'll find God there. Would they? Would they have found God here on a Friday night where there's nobody here? No. No, they wouldn't have. You know where they will find God? In you and me. And Exodus 40 ends with God coming and dwelling with his people. He's about to lead them now to the promised land. But that's a picture, y'all, of what makes full sense in the New Testament as Jesus is Lord and Savior. I want to ask you today if you've believed on Christ. If you have turned from your sins and said, God, I want to know you. God, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be saved. I want to know you. And ask God to come live inside of you. 
If you've never done that, if you've never come to knowing that I'm going to tell you the honest truth, then He doesn't. But He can. If you'll believe today. The call is to follow Jesus. And as we believe in Him and repent of our sins, He'll come live inside of us. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we love You. We're thankful, God, that Your Word steers us in this direction to understand where do You live and what You're doing. God, thank You for the clarity of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that God lives inside of us, those who have believed. We are the house of God. Hebrews 3, 6 says, if we hold on to Christ. God, may we be the house. And may You be believing. May we be believing in You. Oh God, move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.